This is the Pink Floyd Fellas, featuring your fellas Pete and PJ, leading you through the journey of the world's most popular progenitors of progressive psychedelic rock, Pink Floyd. Yes, welcome to the show. Uh, this is Pete. And this is PJ. Whoa. Hey, PJ. Hi, came Pete. In hot. I'm trying to do the same type of energy that our announcer has. <laughs> Usually I feel like I'm the one who comes in hot, but you came in hot. Well, we call you the little, little hot boy. Yeah. Hot boy with the with the hot fingers. I don't know why they call me that, but... You'd have to ask your wife. Whenever, yeah, whenever my fingers are touching you, they're, they're burning hot. I can't make sushi either because of that, unfortunately. You're... You're no better than all the women who aren't allowed to make sushi. Yeah, that's true. Kind of like, I wonder if they, you know, they call them Little Davy Fingers, but I wonder if they ever call them Little Davy Hot Fingers. Because you know what? He plays some pretty hot licks on that Stratocaster. You know, that sounds like an old nursery rhyme. Little Davy <laughs> Hot Fingers. Picking at the guitar. <laughs> Can't write a song, but... <laughs> Sometimes... Really, really good. So. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty apropos for this episode. Oof, yeah. <laughs> How are you, Pete? How's life you know, been? Oh, PJ, life has been so good. I'm just getting ready for um, for the most special of holidays, uh, yeah. uh, Black Friday. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm prepping. So here's what I've got. I've got a spreadsheet with every store, both online and physical, I've visited in the last year. Okay, okay. And then... I've got like a list of everything I looked at at the store that I might be interested in. And then Mm -hmm. also, you know, so then I can just cross-reference everything. I'm going to be up all night um, after Thursday, um, Black Friday Eve, I call it. Um, I'll be up all night getting ready for that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's been, this has been, it's a lot of work, I guess is all I'm trying to say. It sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like more work than you've ever put in this podcast. Well, this podcast doesn't get me any sweet deals on uh, televisions or um, computer mice. Only because we, <laughs> only because songs. we haven't been putting in the effort to try to get that going. Yeah. Well, true. You know, we could become more professional on this podcast. I did. I did take a step today to make this podcast it just one iota more professional. Oh uh, yes. Which is, I created us, um, well, see, I'm not sure what the Zoomers call it, but I think it's an Instagram account? I feel like I sound like such an old man saying that, but... I think it's Instagram. I think that's what it called. Oh, oh wait. it's Instant. Pete. Sorry, just trying to get some pics for the Instagram. Wow. That's really... I kind of thought you were maybe flipping through a Rolodex, but... <laughs> Yeah, um, that was the only <laughs> camera shutter sound effect um, <laughs> I could really find. Silly. That was more than one second. What? See, what is that... okay? So Insta is obviously short for instant, but then Graham, there's no. It should be like Instagraph because it's all photo based, like photograph, right? I think it was originally called Pictograph. Oh, no, that can't boy. be right. I had to have made that up. I think you made that up. I feel right. like. Picta or something is it was a is a thing was a thing who knows 
Oh, I don't want to go to Instagram.com. I but want to we do have an Instagram Wikipedia. page, and you can find it by searching Beach Boys Boys on Instagram and then probably scrolling like three pages in because <laughs> every search algorithm loves to put us at the bottom even when you search our exact name. Which is crazy. We deserve higher. Mm-hmm. We do finally show up second only to sail on now in the apple podcast app which took a long time we were usually like 16 down <laughs> we're making our way in the world but yeah i know it's impressive people love um, us yeah but so we have an instagram now and um well, i there are three posts one of them was kind of a mistake but i couldn't edit it and i didn't really mm-hmm. want to delete it so i just left it so really okay. we have two posts and then we have one story no i don't understand what a story is but I, according to Google, that's the only way to share a direct mm. link to our podcast yeah. is a Spotify story about our episode. So I'll just keep w- doing that. Would you Would you like to know the history of Instagram and uh, etymology? <laughs> it, it was founded in San Francisco yes, as sure. Bourbon, B-U-R-B-N, wow. a mobile check-in app. Um, later on, okay. it was... Huh. Too similar to Foursquare. Like Foursquare, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they um, changed it and renamed it Instagram, a portmanteau of instant camera and telegram. No, camera's no. not in there. <laughs> <laughs> also, why, yeah, why is it telegram, you know? Also, instant telegram is just an yeah. email. Yeah. That mm-hmm. already exists. You could have yeah. called those Instagrams. You could, I mean, there are so many better names for this. Bourbon. I mean, oh, no, that obviously, that one. obviously, it stuck since we're talking about it today, PJ. What year was that? I'm gonna guess that was 2010. It feels like it was slightly later than Twitter. Oh no, but Twitter was like 2006. So. You nailed it. 2010. Is it? Was it 2010? Damn. Okay, I was mm. thinking I was maybe a little late. I've had an Instagram since 2010. Early. You've had one. Let me see. Let me see what my first post is. I believe my Twitter was created also in 2010, and has since been deleted it was deleted about a decade later (laughs) yeah that sounds right but yeah because i mean i i really do remember being on it when it was like still crazy that there were celebrities on it i remember now where it's only celebrities when everyone's just like it's really dumb all it's like facebook but it just makes your picture square yeah 2012 i started mine in 2012 which is still are you talking about instagram yeah sorry for some reason i thought you said twitter Everything has been, I've been saying is Twitter. I've never had an Instagram. I can tell now. The Beach Boys oh. is baby. We do, in fact, have a, a Twitter, too, that we Yes, we do. Never plug. Yeah, you should probably link our Instagram over there, because we probably have more followers on Twitter. A.K.A. X. Oh, yeah. That's Is that why you started yeah, an Instagram? Instagram? You just kind of got the bug in you today, Pete, to go ahead and be Gen X for a moment. And... Uh, <laughs> Start an Insta, you know, the Gen X app, Instagram. Um, You just got the bug, and I was curious about it, and I thought maybe it's because you wanted us to get off of X.com. No, I mean, Which is not a pornography site that plays videos such as Debbie Does Dallas. (laughs) Yeah, Debbie Does the Dallas Ducks. Um, It's the Anaheim Ducks. That's where we're from. Go Ducks. I was just going for the alliteration. Um, no, it's, I have no, no real problem with X, except that it probably doesn't need to exist, but I'm happy for, for our account over there to exist, but I'm going to focus on Instagram because somehow who would have seen this coming? 
Twitter is now, or like something supplanted Facebook as the most evil social media. Right. Mark Zuckerberg is, was, when Elon Musk took that over, he was so happy. Thank God the heat's off us for a minute. See, now I don't even call Mark Zuckerberg Mark Fuckerberg anymore. Now yeah. I call him his normal name. Now Elon Musk in my book is Elon Fucks. But that honestly sounds like a compliment. Like he yeah, fucks. Yeah, it you know? kind of does. Yeah. But he's only fucking Grimes, which is like not that great. So, yeah. I don't like Grimes, by the way. I like a handful of songs, like a lot, but. Um, Can't do them. Don't yeah. get it. Oh, she has some good stuff. She had I forget it, what it, her like first hit was. That was a good song. And then to most me, of it sounds Art like Angels music made by a pixie, but in a bad way. Unlike Bjork, <laughs> which sounds like music made by a pixie in a good way. Yeah. And unlike I mean, the pixies yeah. altogether. Yeah. It is truly the weirdest thing that they're together. So and that they're still together. Because they were like really on the rocks for a minute. They so. broke up for a long time and now they've got like another kid together or something. It's strange, man. Man, we should. This should be a segment on our show where we just um, try to glean what we know of pop culture, being two men who, <laughs> who only pay, pay attention, attention to, to classic culture. rock and basketball. Yeah, I did. I did tag some of our Instagram posts with dad rock because yeah. like, that's probably our. Um, Let's get some of the dads in there. That's probably our, our crowd on Instagram. We aren't yeah. going to get any cool young folks like us. That's true. So. It is nice that we can view our insights. Like I've reached 33 accounts with one post. Look Whoa. That. That's crazy. I know, right? How many followers do we have right now, Pete? Five. Still five. If you're within the first 10 followers, we will send us an email at beachboysboys at gmail.com and we'll send you something fun. Will we? <laughs> if we remember to. We're going to do this like a pyramid scheme. It's not a pyramid scheme. It's just going to be structured. It's going to be, yeah. It's going to be structured. Look, we're going to call it the dark side of the moon prism scheme. Okay. Genius. Yeah. So for if you follow us and you're within the first 10 followers, you get a prize. For every 10 followers you directly get us, Mm -hmm. you get another prize. And then for every 10 followers they get, like they can get a prize. And so... And then you get more prizes the more followers you get until eventually you get a Pink Floyd themed car. If Whoa! You get, uh, if you get us um, a gajillion followers, <laughs> yeah, I promise. <laughs> it's got to be a gajillion. No <laughs> more, no less. And exactly, yeah, no more. Yeah. If it's a gajillion and one, it's like cornhole. Up. You have to score it exactly right. Yeah, there's no halvesies in cornhole. It's either in, it's in, or it's out. Yeah. Right. That's what my chest tattoo says, is there's no halvesies in cornhole. Yeah. So, yeah, so go check out our Instagram. It is, oh, I just pulled it up to actually (laughs) plug it in. To give you the app. And then closed it immediately. I believe it's just Beach Boys Boys. Yeah, because why would you throw the in there? Oh, no, it is the. It's the Beach Boys Boys. I mean, yeah, it's such a good idea to throw the in there so they know who we are. (laughs) I think I, well, no, I probably can't change that part. I can change the name that shows up, which is the Pink Floyd Fellas parentheses of Beach Boys Boys production. Yeah, uh, that's which one is thing potentially that was... too long, but potentially whatever. that was one thing that was great about Twitter. And I don't know if X still does this. You could just change your what do they call it? Your oh, your, at. Name, your handle. Yeah, your handle yeah. anytime you wanted, as long as it was free. Right. Yeah. 
I also did, you know what, listeners, you can be proud of me. I figured out a link tree. So now you can access all <gasps> links in one handy place. Although I don't have our X on there. I need to get that link from you so I can add it. Yeah. I got about um, 15 emails about that today. Oh, really? I was like, I'm not trying to do anything on Linktree. Sorry. I feel like most of the time um, I see a Linktree in an Instagram bio. It's definitely a woman who has her OnlyFans link in the Instagram bio. How do you think I know what Linktree is, PJ? Oh, good point. <laughs> it's either it's either from porn or it's from like an indie band on their band camp on their or band on their camp. like website yeah. they just have a link tree to like here's all the places you can buy this album and it's only band camp <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's always band camp and then there's always like at least one streaming service you've never heard of before in your life <laughs> and i don't understand how that's possible, it's like vuvo and you're like whatever what yeah it's like vuvo? something their uh something like their record label started yeah just for their own bands all right, so go check us out over there on the social medias. Uh, follow us. Email Honestly, us. the longest plug we've ever done just now. I know that's incredible. So, but I'm I'm on it. I'm our. It's it's gonna work, PJ. Did, How many now, followers do we have on Twitter? Give I'm me a gonna, moment. I'm gonna say right now. I'm gonna surpass that. Nathan, I'm putting out the call. Jaw. Ja, if you type in x.com in your browser, it immediately goes to twitter.com/home. Yeah. Which like why rename it? It's fucking moron. They haven't changed the... Wow, that's crazy. I didn't realize that. I have noticed, like, links in stories and stuff. I think we'll open as x.com, maybe. We have 77 followers on Twitter. Okay, yeah. Let's get to 100 on Instagram within the week. Just kidding. I don't know how to do that, but... There's a reason I've never gotten a job as a social media um, expert, because... Well, except for that one that you got at um, Wendy's. You were that guy who was just dunking on everybody, left yeah, and right. right. That's right. Um, well, PJ, here's another fun piece of news. Did you see your alma mater, Chuck, uh, Chuck E. Cheese, was was big in the news over the last couple of weeks? T- tell me about Chuck E. Cheese. I have not heard this. Yeah. Well, according to KTLA, <laughs> <laughs> Channel 5, our old haunt from down in Anaheim, yeah. of course. Um, of course they're phasing out all of the animatronic bands in Chuck E. Cheese uh, and I think it is a misnomer it got big on social media for a second because the Five Nights at Freddy's movie just came out gotcha. so people were thinking it was because of that it's probably it appears is. to not be they've been mm. doing it slowly like over the last couple of years um, the Chuck E. Cheese I worked at was is probably not going to get rid of them for a while because they were also the last one in the country to have a ball pit. So that's crazy. Yeah. Well, this story says that um, one place, Northridge, is it California? Northridge? I don't know where Northridge is. Yeah, Northridge, California is the only one that will still have the animatronic band. I don't know when that's happening. But that's the plan. They're just so phasing that's the out. only one with the animatronic band. Okay, so and then everything else will go to like TV screen stuff where they just play videos of things. When I was a kid and we went to Chuck E. Cheese, the animatronic band was always up there. Mm-hmm. And then the curtain would close when the person in the mascot outfit came out and like did your party. Mm-hmm. When I worked there, that curtain didn't work. So there were just two Chuckies, which made it like way more evident that there was like a weird animatronic fucking thing going on. Right. But but also what a lot of people don't realize is they're pneumatic. So in the morning, mm-hmm. when you turn the compressor on yeah. and there's any air in the system, they'll just like 
you're you know you're fucking vacuuming out there they'll just like twitch all at once god yeah and it's like genuinely terrifying like i understand why they made a spooky video game and movie about it because it's like (laughs) kind of scary if you're just like minding your business and then they all move in unison for (laughs) like a millisecond it's like they're trying to scare you um but yeah they're pneumatic that's crazy yeah. Well, I'm just sad, PJ, that all your coworkers are getting trashed. So I know Pasquale, so Jasper T. Because you were the only person who worked in that Chuck E. Cheese, right? The rest yeah. of them were the. It was me and the, the animatronics. Pneumatic. Yeah. Yeah, animatronics. Well, because yeah, I mean, you, Helen Henny, she was just there to look good, so probably the waitress. Sure. Pasquale, the chef, he made Great. the pizzas. Yes, of course. Um, Mr. Munch was That's the taste tester, That's where the tester, Costco pizza uh, robot technology came from, was Chuck E. Yeah. Cheese started it. Yeah, Exactly. And then Chuck E., he, I mean, really a health department risk, because right. he's a big I mean, rat. rat. in the kitchen. Yeah. yeah. It's no good. Um, you know. And then Mr. Munch's son, whose name I forget, mm-hmm. he's just uh, a little freak. You got me Lil Munch? I think you actually nailed it. Wow. I think it is Lil Munch. Nice. Um, and then Jasper T. Jowls. One time I equated each of the Chuck E. Cheese characters to which beetle they would be. Oh, God. Helen Henny was Yoko, obviously. Of course, yes. The I, fifth beetle. I know, guys. Stop yeah. writing in. <sighs> Beachboysboys at gmail.com if you want to uh, yeah, write in about to. which beetle was the yeah. fifth beetle. It's an ongoing debate over here at the e- Pink Floyd Fellas. <laughs> <laughs> you can also message us on Instagram at the Beach Boys. Boys. <laughs> Never officially. <laughs> Unofficially, yeah, unofficially, we've unofficially we might have spent more time on them than anything else. I feel like this, so far what we've talked about, I feel like this would be a good episode for like, if somebody doesn't want to listen to our whole back catalog, right. just start here. It seems yeah. like we're really introducing ourselves this episode. Yeah. I don't well, know why I'm, I'm assuming all these new Instagram followers will yeah. start listening. Maybe that's yeah. what I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. It's like, now we're going to blow up and get right. hundreds of thousands of... We're going to get um, too big. Robotic followers, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then once you get tens of thousands of robots, that's at least six or seven real listeners. Mm-hmm. So we're yeah. still, I mean, that's probably twice as many as we're current. getting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so that's exciting. What's disappointing about that Chuck E. Cheese announcement is that they are getting rid of the animatronics, but they have been ignoring my repeated suggestions to make a shoot, an offshoot um, restaurant called charles entertainment cheese that is mm-hmm. fine dining only for kids 12 and under <laughs> what kind of food all they the, serve there all the staff are adults by the way yeah it's just course. little kids eating in in suit and jackets and ties and dresses yeah. and yeah and they only have the classiest of uh games there <laughs> oh, there's no games no, PJ, no you're not it's you're not understanding me. Dining. This is fine dining. You walk in, they take your coat, the mater D like chides you for not wearing a tie. Of course. And then they bring you into the back. There's candles on every table. I mean I probably not real candles because they're little kids. But yeah. The candles, fake ones you tablecloths. You know. It's quiet. There's a little like jazz pianist in the corner. So this is this is a true fine That's dining great... experience for young young kids that this is a totally untapped market okay young people now pj they have more free spending money than they ever have before so why not why not <laughs> find true. they're you know 
getting big on Instagram and having right. money from that somehow. They're getting big on TikTok and being exactly right. sponsored by Casper mattresses. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. They've got so much money. Because they aren't allowed in your regular fine dining establishments. No. Like Cl- a, let me like a Ruth's Chris. Do you think <laughs> speaking of fine dining? <laughs> do you think they would even seat a a party of twelve year olds? Of all twelve year olds. <laughs> no. They would kick them out. They would not let They'd them say, in. So you need at least one adult, please. That's why you need Charles Entertainment Cheese, the place where kids can go to eat alone. Exactly. In style. And that'll be the slogan. Yeah. <laughs> to eat alone in style. And it's always in the same uh, mini mall as a men's warehouse. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yes. Um, which also should have an offshoot of just all little kids' suits, probably. Yeah. Kids' warehouse. Yeah. Kids' warehouse. Um. God, I love that so much, and I wish we were the kind of uh, podcast where people were big enough fans who were like also animators, where they could do a mm. little cart. You've seen those, right? Yeah, yeah like I on know. YouTube, would it be a clip from a podcast and somebody's animated idea. the like great idea they have? If yeah. if anybody could do that for that idea, I would love that so much. Um, oh. Or if anybody could actually open Charles Entertainment Cheese. The place where a kid can eat alone in style. Uh, Then, you know, if you have ties to the founder of Atari who now owns Chuck E. Cheese, let -hmm. me know. Yeah, let us know. Um, That's a weird move from them. Just going from one dead product to the next. (laughs) Yeah, that was his whole thing. He he was the president and founder of Atari, and then he founded... um, It wasn't Chuck E. Cheese at first. It was Showtime... And it had a bear oh, instead of Chucky. Yeah. And then you can see when it changed to Chuck E. Cheese, all of the animatronics are basically the same shape. Mm, and so they just yeah. put like new skin on them, which I bet was a terrifying yeah. thing to be in charge of. Yeah. Do you want to? Do you want to go ahead and uh, now? This is almost disastrously early, but we are expecting <sighs> floods of new listeners. So yeah. I'm thinking maybe we try and keep it at least slightly on the rails this time. Maybe like just we slightly. Did Reddy did a sick opening riff. And, and it was so phenomenal. Think, yeah, exactly. So just, you know, so new listeners, again, to our thousands of brand new fans. Um, usually this opening section is, mm, let's say, four times as long <laughs> yeah. and four times less funny. Between four and ten times as long. <laughs> yeah. And between and yeah, that, four and ten yeah. times less funny. So let's check in with our fellas in Pink Floyd. So after last week, we covered Dark Side of the Moon. Mm-hmm. It's an immediate runaway success, which we talked about at the time. Um, you know, but a little wild band, to me that like at the time it was a success, yeah. and I don't know that we talked about that at all. But yeah. it is a weird like coming out that year. We did talk about this where we were both like crazy that it's their ninth album or whatever, and they're like, but this one, mm-hmm. listen to this one. But also, right. like, such a weird album for the time. Like, it's timeless, but I feel like a weird album for the time to come out to be a hit, personally. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I was going to talk about this a little later, but we can talk about it now. Our sort of, you know, after our uh, afterglow thoughts of Dark Side of the Moon. Um, our pillow, our Dark Side of the Moon pillow talk. It's It's a strange album overall. And, you know, I was thinking about this with the album we're talking about today where, you know, neither of them really had singles. Like, Money was a pretty decent single, but we're just not in an era 
uh, where singles mean a lot in terms of rock music, at least. And so it's a weird album where like, just, you know, I, well, what am I trying to say? Like it's, sorry, it's distinct with Pink Floyd because it is like eight or nine separate, fully distinct songs, even though they run together. Right. But there's also really only like three or four actual like song songs that aren't sort of mood pieces or like True. electronic things or weird bridges, like mm-hmm. instrumental bridges. And, and so it's just, it's a very strange, I will say, and out of all those, there's only really two all bangers. three that are like kind of catchy. Yeah. And then even those are like the catchiness is couched in like a eight minute runtime or something. Yeah. Or with and, a super, like, time and, has a crazy long intro and stuff like that. Right. So, well, and that's what just, I was going to say. It's like, yeah. to pull a single off of this, except for Money. Money right. can be a straight single. But it's still, all of the... It was still a pretty long single, though. It was like five minutes, I think, the single. Uh, the radio edit was shorter, to be fair. I don't but, know. I think that was the single edit, the radio edit. Oh, okay. It was still like five minutes long, because there's then not super that long. much you can cut out, because it's pretty long. But um, I do feel like this was the era where they got away from, like, the two and a half minute thing. Right. Um, but. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And they also started, yeah, rock programming and radio programming where they would play a lot longer songs and everything and and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of interesting because it's not. And I really don't know. I think uh, this is very much just my opinion, but I don't really think of it as being an album where you want to like pull songs off necessarily. No, or, like put it on no, a no. playlist or something. It feels maybe like the worst album thing. to do that with. Because yeah. really, money is the only one that makes sense out of place. The rest of them have something else. And this is kind of what I was getting at, is that with any other song you wanted to pull off as a single, you'd have to edit it down, like edit out five minutes of an intro or something. Right. Which is the and first time like, in Pink Floyd's history that has not annoyed me, by the way. Yeah. And also, like, I mean, even edit stuff out, like maybe all the weird talking in the background and stuff like that, where it's just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's very strange, but... The album sells like gangbusters. They're huge. They have a bunch of critical acclaim. All their shows are sold out. You know, they're earning more money than they've ever earned uh, pretty immediately. They apparently start their own publishing company in order to keep more of their profits. And Mm -hmm. in that, somehow discover, yeah, they somehow discover, like, as they're setting that up and legally basically taking over their own rights, they discover that apparently EMI had done a pretty bad job of collecting royalties so they like even got more money based off that because they got a bunch of like back paid stuff oh wow everyone immediately buys website you can go to now um you know instagram.com i was just there oh instagram.com slash the beach boys boys yeah um no that like free money.com thing where um it tells you like if you've got on i don't know why it feels like i'm plugging this no, no, I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's like, like that, unpaid it, yeah. paychecks that they just send to the state or whatever, and right. then you can claim yeah. them. It's like that, but for um, music rights, which yeah. I'm sure net hundreds of thousands of dollars, potentially. Yeah. So so every every band member buys at least one mansion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some band members, too. I think Davey and Rick, maybe, bought ones in London and then also ones in, like, Greece. Uh, pretty much everyone buys a house in Greece, strangely. Oh, so they're pedophiles. Although, Davey goes to the south of France, so he was oh. just wanting to follow. So he's the only one who's not a pedophile. Everybody's yeah. got a house in Greece as a pedophile. That's what I've learned from Tom Hanks. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, I've been 
on um, Instagram.com slash QAnon a lot recently. Nice. So. Nice. So, and then, and Roger admits in a later interview, even though, um, you know, and a lot of Dark Side's lyrics are about this, uh, he was a staunch anti-capitalist. He really mm-hmm. he couldn't say no to the money and didn't, <laughs> yeah, didn't I mean, resist the fame and money and, yeah, all of it. Um, so it really, really overtook them. Not like us, baby. Doing this for free costs yeah, us money right. to do yeah. this at your, the listener's for your benefit. It, for your benefit, yeah. yeah. You're welcome. We're yeah. basically running a nonprofit here. So Yeah. So they toured for uh, about a year after that. Well, like a year and a half after this. Um, they spend most of 74, 1974 touring. Um, they also start getting involved in other musical projects. I believe Roger might put out a solo album around now. Um, Davey apparently was involved in very early. I didn't know she was around this early, but uh, the early career of Kate Bush. Um, really? Somehow Davey hmm. Gilmore was involved in that. This yeah. seems really early for that. No, yeah. maybe that's right. I, I mean, I think of her as being firmly in the 80s. So Me too. 1974 ish but... seems very early. But anyway, um, and then like Nick and Rick produced some other albums and stuff like that. So they were kind of, aside from touring, they kind of were all off in their separate worlds, you know, living in their villas, enjoying, enjoying uh, the aftermath of Dark Side of the Moon. So they were kind of feeling stuck as a band, though, because they were touring. So they had that going for them. But everyone was feeling like they didn't even know how to start writing another album after Mm -hmm. this, you know, mountaintop kind of album that they made. But they also didn't think or want that they could to break up. Yeah. You know, they're earning money hand over fist, at least with touring, even though they're, yeah. So they're feeling a little stuck. They don't really know what direction to go as a band. So starting in early Hmm. 1974. Has this happened before with the same band? I know. I mean, hey, at least this time it's because they made something really good and not because they made something really bad. Yeah. Or because they were bored yeah. or whatever they right. were fucking doing before. So, they are, though. They have not totally learned their lesson. In early 1974, they go back to that recording household objects experiment, <laughs> which I think I teased uh, on the metal episode would come back, and this is when it comes back. This is when they bring that back. So, again, for they were trying to make music using everyday objects, bringing stuff from home. Um, Davey was of the mindset that their best move would be to just go as weird and like psychedelic and out there as possible just to deflect any comparisons to Dark Side of the Moon on the next record. Um, and so, which, you know, fair. I mean, it's an avoidance tactic, but it's a legitimate one. Like bands, bands do that a lot or they'll put out Mm -hmm. something purposefully light after like a really kind of intense or like really popular yeah. kind of like how the beach boys right after pet sounds they did smiley smile you know just i mean easy listen don't know so this is this is some real armchair like really off the top of my head analysis but like i wonder if through very real circumstances they like they were part of kind of creating the blueprint oh for because okay. now people will do that on purpose yeah. Where like they'll have like a seminal album and then it'll be like next year they'll just put out like a 
30 minute covers record or something you know they'll do something like purposely very slight and just kind of off the cuff afterwards to kind of take the pressure off the next release to me it just makes sense so i almost wonder if brian's breakdown like was part of kind of doing kind of created that a little masterpieces in a row quote unquote yeah yeah Yeah. i mean hardly anyone can do it yeah some people can but i mean it's like you put so much time and energy into making an album like that it's like how could you not be burned out and, and want to do like you know something easy yeah true um so anyway so that was his that was his thought so and the household objects project helped them kind of limp along for a while but eventually that ran out of steam and they were on the brink of breaking up again just due to nobody having any ideas so you know what do we do how do we keep going and uh you know i think now they've obviously been here before with no ideas but now they're really feeling the pressure because they've got the whole world the whole rock world kind of paying attention to them all of a sudden so Starting in early 1975. Think, real quick, I'm sorry. I just want to dilute for one more second. Yeah. Do you think like Rock is now paying attention to them because they made like an album that rocks, which I feel like they really haven't done like a yeah. straight. I mean, this was not a straight rock album. I don't want to say that, but no. there's some rockers on it, man. Um, right. But like before this, it's been strictly prog. Right. Do you think like. Yeah, like this I is think, getting yeah. rock on their side. I think they were always a band that, like other bands, you know, like people knew about them. They weren't nobody, and you know, as we've seen, they have a lot of fans in terms of like that director, Barbet Schroeder, loved them yeah. enough to bring him along for a couple albums or a couple movies. Another director wanted them. Um, like they definitely do have a following, and they're kind of in the conversation but they're definitely not mainstream and yeah i think they're not really something you listen to unless you're kind of a hardcore psychedelic guy or gal um which i've always been a hardcore psychedelic guy and gal so exactly um and so then this catapulted them into the mainstream because it was in 1973 you know poppy enough or not poppy enough but just it it caught good enough and like maybe the right timing too yeah so they do finally get back to work in the studio because someone's got an idea. <laughs> oh boy. It's actually, it's a little bit, I mean, so most of the credit here will go to Roger. Cause once again, he writes all the lyrics and essentially kind of creates the, the structures of most of the songs. But Davey did figure out this little four note riff at some point, uh, which we will hear when we start listening to the album. And kind of like metal, where they started messing around and like discovered the piano riff that then inspired the whole song. Like this four note riff, they were like, that's good enough for us to make a song out of. Let's figure that out. Which, not to bring up, oh, not to not bring up, I want to bring up U2 two times in a row. That is a very U2 thing, by the way, for them to do is be like, that's like one interesting little guitar line. Let's spend days in the studio writing that song kind of thing like out of nothing so a little bit weird you wouldn't equate it to brian wilson who played ding dang on the piano (laughs) literally for 24 hours right in the studio i mean like this concept of like we're going into the studio with nothing except like this little riff kind of thing or like this one musical idea and then we're gonna make the whole song out of it which at least lately is what u2 does i would say u2 is or 
the better comparison to U2 would be um, they were kind of more u 2 in their first several albums that w- were awful. <laughs> um, that's more of like a U2 yeah. thing, I think. But So, and then Roger <laughs> has this poem he wrote about Sid Barrett as, as some lyrics and inspiration. So, they immediately run into problems, though, because they have a huge fight where Davey disagreed with Roger very strongly on how to structure the album. So they had kind of these three song ideas that were at least a little bit fleshed out. And he wanted to do a whole album with just those three songs. Kind of going back to the metal Adam Hart mother thing where you're going to yeah. do like an entire side is one song and then like the second side is two songs. And he felt very strongly about that. Um, and he really wanted this album to be different than Dark Side of the Moon and you know all this sort of thing. Roger disagreed and his idea ended up winning out. Um, so he convinced the bandmates that his poem about Sid and you know this idea for a little bit more of a structured album than than Rod than excuse me than Davey wanted. Yeah, uh, was the way to go. Hmm. So I think we should start listening to this Roger guy from now on. <laughs> yeah, I think he's going to have good be. ideas from here on yeah. out. So and his idea kind of was not only to focus on Sid, but then also kind of like basically for the band and him as a you know lyric writer to focus on all of their inner band issues as a type of therapy. Like we're just going to talk about all these things out in the open and write the songs about these. So like their problems with the music industry, um, their absence, you know, to each other and from Sid and all that kind of stuff. So and all this of course, is starting to... I mean, they have issues on this album, but it foreshadows their more serious issues in the future with Davey and Rick focused a lot on the music and trying to... and the instrumentation and everything, and Roger more focused on the themes and messages in the songs, which, if they all got along, is a great mix. You want people who <laughs> who are on top of like all that music stuff in a great like, band, yeah. but it's... they didn't get along on it, so... Anyway. Get you a man who can do both. Yeah, so... They start recording uh, in earnest in January, sorry, in Abbey Road, (laughs) in January 1975. um, They record pretty steadily until March and then off on again through July uh, in between touring. So they did ask Alan Parsons to be the engineer again since he did them. He did such a good job on Dark Side of the Moon. You could say this is going to be Alan Parsons project. I know. Well, instead of his weekly, I think at this point he wasn't getting his weekly stipend or whatever uh, salary from. What was from it like? Two hundred twenty-five dollars or something? No. Oh yeah, I just listened to that episode today. It was something like six hundred dollars a week in twenty twenty-three dollars. Oh, okay. Um, it was like thirty pounds a week or some shit. Oh wait, no. Yeah. So then it was like three hundred pounds a week. Anyway, so they offered him. 10,000 pounds a year, I did not put this in the inflation calculator, to just work for them, to be like their their engineer. Unclear on whether he could have done other stuff at, at the same time, I assume so, because they're not going to write that many albums. Mm-hmm. But just like an exclusive contract of, you know, Alan Parsons will do all of our records from here on out. In dollars? It's about $70,000 a year, $71,721. Okay. I mean, pretty good. Not near. I mean, I guess that might have been like super producer money back then. But anyway, yeah. So, but Alan said no because they would not give him an album royalty deal. <laughs> Those I mean, cheap bastards. 
Fucking A. Like, yeah, that's like the Beatles. 1%. That's like if George Martin walked away from the Beatles in like 1966 because they got stingy. And then, yeah. yeah. And he anyway. was like, over my career, I made $280,000 with the Beatles. And that was it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, so they lose out on Alan Parsons. He pretty much immediately, by the way, goes to work on the Alan Parsons project. Their, al- their first album comes out, I think, in 1976. So, anyway, so they go to a guy that they know, you know, when you're spurned by a woman you t- or by a, a, a lover, you go back to a former lover, you text them, you up. So they texted Brian Humphreys if he was up uh, and got him in as their engineer. He had worked with them before recording in live contexts a lot. Okay. So I was going to say, I don't uh, know. I know we've talked about him. I just don't remember what it was. Yeah. Including he did the live parts of Amagama. So a real, okay. a really stellar resume. Oh yes. That's yeah. Okay. We've talked about him. So anyway, so, they start recording with Brian Humphreys there, the four of them. Um, here's another story about them starting to get pissed off at each other. So Rick insists throughout all of the recording that he's always in the studio for everything. He always wants to be present because he doesn't want to lose any like co-writing credits or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't want any opportunity for the band to not put him on a song. And yeah, the rest of the band is, out? and the rest of the band is so annoyed by this that whenever he records his parts, they all just leave. <laughs> <laughs> so, so already a bit of a rift forming there. It's some real Brian Wilson behavior, honestly. Yeah, Brian's here. Um, let's leave. So, and then, let's see. So they record over seventy different sessions, which, according to my book. Pink Floyd, all the songs, the story behind every track by John Michael Goudon and Philippe Magoton, um, which is their most for any album so far. Mm-hmm. But it's not because they're really uh, inspired. It's because they're really uninspired. <laughs> they're taking their time. So they work in fits and starts. Some days they don't do anything at all or only a couple guys would show up and the other guys would go play squash, apparently. <laughs> That sounds um, right. I'm surprised they're not playing soccer or watching Monty Python yeah, or yeah. watching soccer. Probably a lot of that stuff, too. But anyway, so even though, you know, Roger kind of had ideas and they were, you know, eking out this album, Rick reckoned they were struggling so much because they waited too long after Dark Side. And now it was like they kind of got into this stasis of we haven't done anything yet. We're never going to be able to do anything. That kind of attitude. Yeah. So, um,. They did, by the way, by 1975, Abbey Road now has a 24-track machine, so they're pretty pretty advanced. Congratulations. Yeah. That's yeah. like, I don't even know how many more tracks than they had before, 20? <laughs> they literally yeah. Yeah, I think multiplied by five. The last time and for Dark Side of the Moon. Maybe an eight, maybe an eight-track. I'm forgetting now. Anyway, everyone else just listened to the album, so they'll know. Or listen yeah. to the episode. Last week. I assume. Anyway, sorry. So, one crazy story from recording. PJ, you're never going to believe this. So in June 1975, while they were in the studio, they're recording. They notice in the uh, control room, there's like another guy hanging out that's not part of their usual recording team. 
And oh, eh, no. they kind of shrug. There's people who wander in and out of the studio, you know, from other studios all the time. All right, fine. But then he's just hanging out there for like a couple hours and no one's talking to him because no one knows who he is. And like they eventually like Rick eventually goes up to Roger and is like, oh, hey, who's that? And Roger's like, I don't know. And Rick says, oh, I thought he was your friend or something. So everyone's really confused. He's this overweight guy with who's like totally has a totally shaved head and shaved eyebrows. Weirdly, very pale and like kind of sickly looking. Eventually, one of them or all of them at once realize it's Sid Barrett hanging out. Oh, the, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah. And apparently, Roger and Davey both started crying <laughs> because oh, yeah. they felt so terrible because he looked like total shit. Um, so they apparently talked with him a little bit. They offered to play Shine On You Crazy Diamond for him. You know, telling him, like, oh, we did, we're doing this song about you kind of thing. But he'd apparently heard them recording parts of it, and he said that was enough. <laughs> Didn't need to hear it yeah. anymore. And then, you know, they said he could hang out. So he hung out for a little while longer and then did an Irish goodbye while they were starting celebrating <laughs> Davy's upcoming wedding. Wow. Um, and apparently Rick said that that was the first time they'd any of them had seen him in a couple of years at least. So, that's crazy there is a really crazy photo of him in the studio that's what i was about it's, to look up i mean it's just kind of sad because like you see pictures of him i'm you know. like pretty familiar with what he looks like. i mean he just yeah. looks like a skinny british dude like exactly in my mind right it is pretty much like you can't recognize him oh yeah and then well they even have a photo of him from like the 80s or something in my book too and he's back to quote-unquote normal you know like mm -hmm. he just kind of looks like a guy he oh kinda, fuck. he's kind of got a boo radley thing going on <laughs> he's scary looking like he is scary looking like his eyes are totally sunken and like he's so pale that like his eyes are like way darker than the rest of his face and stuff it's yeah and did it did it explain why he shaved his eyebrows no i think it's just sid doing sid i think it's just sid being sid yeah what year did he die do we know oh i think in like the 2000s Okay, so let's look up a picture of him in 20 years after this, 1995. Yeah. yeah, my book has one. They don't say what year, but they just say later, and he just looks like a guy. Yeah, he. this must have just been a weird period for him then. Yeah. That's kind of strange. Yeah, his. this was definitely his Brian Wilson... Um... Sandbox era? Yeah, exactly. So, although there wasn't, you know, even any good music coming out of it, unfortunately. Yeah. So. Anyway, okay, so they're all kind of shook by this, but also helps them finish up the album. So the album art, also always, as always, by hypnosis, um, probably, unless there's something I don't know about for albums coming up, the most complex Pink Floyd album artwork they'll ever mm -hmm. do. In terms of basically the entire packaging, I guess. Um, yeah. So, first of all, they have a black shrink wrap over the album um, because they wanted to hide it. Basically, they kind of wanted to do the white album thing, but the Beatles already did the white album thing. So they were like, we'll just put it in like a plain colored shrink wrap then so we can kind of do the blank album idea. Um, 
So they did that. There's a little sticker on the front to indicate it is a Pink Floyd album inside, just so you know. Good, good, good. So, and then inside the, you know, also one of the more famous uh, album covers of all time, the the photo of the guys shaking hands where one of them's on fire. So, have you seen outtakes of that? Uh, I don't think I have. There's really incredible pictures if you look them up. Um, yeah. And you can do it now or later. Where, I mean, it's them, I mean, it's like the initial picture and then like a few more of him shaking and then him like running away and then somebody throwing a blanket over him because they like actually lit a guy on fire. Um, Well, that's really funny because yes, my notes are, it was actually like kind of a straightforward photo shoot in a weird way because they got these two stuntmen from L.A., to do it and one of them had been doing fire effects for years so he's like yeah i got all the shit i know what i'm doing i've got a fireproof suit etc easy and it apparently was really easy until the wind kicked up and the wind and it started whipping flames into his face so then yeah then they had to do the the blanket and everything um so good thing they got the shot before then yeah so and then they do i mean they did a poster last time but they do a postcard this time um with some more kind of wild photography and then on the back another somewhat iconic i think kind of uh pink floyd image of the guy in the bowler hat yeah holding the album like so <clears throat> sorry so pretty i mean for hypno like so far they've been kind of minimalist to some degree with the album yeah. and the album covers so this one definitely takes it a step further there's a sleeve that the record's in which i with i think all the lyrics again so yeah. Um, this is the best album cover they have from here on out. I think. Yeah, I, I think I agree. I think it's definitely their best album cover. A lot of people and love the dark side one. I think it's fine. I, th- I think this one's a lot better. Yeah. This one's I way like better. This one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's see. Let's go ahead and take a break, PJ, and then we can come back and do our Rolling Stone review and our, our own review of Wish You Were Here. Welcome back to the Pink Floyd Bellas. We're talking Wish You Were Here. So, PJ, let's um let's go ahead and get straight into our Rolling Stone review. Let's do it. Okay. So the Rolling Stone review was written in November 1975. Pretty close. The album comes out in September. So Oh, wow. Close. They got on that. Yeah, I know. Almost too quickly. It's, it's yeah. actually... They didn't have time to sit with it. All right. So this is by Ben Edmonds. Let's see. He only has five other reviews. A Buffalo Springfield box set. A live concert by someone i can't tell who and then boy they're old stuff is formatted so poorly i can't tell who these albums are by because i don't recognize the the covers uh quicksilver messenger service (laughs) an incredible forgotten band 
I feel like um, we talk about them more than any of their podcast has ever talked about them. Yeah. So Big Brother and the Holding Company after Janice mm. left. Damn. Wow. Oh, man. They're really hitting all of the things we've talked yeah. about, huh? And then an album by Mott the Hoople that I haven't heard of before called Wildlife. Oh, okay. that's a fine album. So, with those credentials, he reviews Wish You Were Here. And then he also got to do Wish You Were Here for no reason. Yeah, it's extremely long, like all old Rolling Stone reviews, so we will jump around. Without Pink Floyd, we would not have the European sci-fi multitudes like Hawkwind, Can, Amundul II, and all their little friends to kick around. They were the first to explore the upper reaches of the chemical heavens, and their commercial and artistic superiority, if it was ever in doubt, was brutally confirmed by Dark Side of the Moon. Boo. That feels like some, some, oh, what do you call it when you have a opinion on something? God damn it, what's the phrase? Ah, my brain is so tired tonight. When you have um, an opinion on something, and... That feels like when you look back on something and are nicer about it than, like, at the time retrospect yeah what the fuck is the phrase there's a phrase but that feels definitely like an opinion you have after dark side of the moon comes out because i don't think a lot of people are arguing about their commercial and artistic superiority before dark side of the moon <laughs> basically that's they, what i'm trying to say nobody once talked about it before that. yeah like superiority no i mean commercial and artistic presence minor presence <laughs> maybe like the director what's his face schroeder uh Oh, yeah, maybe. Maybe okay, so, only Yeah, person. by by November 75, they've sold over 6 million copies of Dark Side of the Moon, half of those Fuck. in the U.S. That's crazy. Um, advanced orders for Wish You Were Here topped 900,000. Damn. So, that's pretty yeah. crazy. So, talk has it, this is correct, uh, that the waiting period was prolonged by the band's own paranoia. To, to release anything would commit them to competition with their own past that they couldn't hope to win. If so... Their fears have been realized. Damn, we're going to get a wish you were here pan. Okay, this is actually, I I might read more of this review than I thought. I kind of just scanned through it, but he takes an excerpt from a radio station call-in show (laughs) from Julie Foreman, 15, from Burbank, California. It's not good. It just drags on. If somebody tried to copy echoes off metal, it wouldn't sound the same, but I think anyone could redo this and make it better. Oh, fuck. Which also, can you imagine? Okay, here's the deal. Can you imagine a fi- this, a 15 year old girl listening to Pink Floyd? In <laughs> that's yeah. that only in 1975. Yeah, imagine a 15 year old girl. Like, even if that was like your daughter, I feel like you'd still be kind of concerned about her. Like, shouldn't no, you be? I mean, listen to something else. Come like, on. <laughs> even the weird classic rock girls I knew in high school were like into the Doors and stuff. Like yeah, somebody Pink at Floyd's least who's one. got like a hot front and she knows metal like she's a fan at 15 all right anyway which just goes to show like how different music is now we're like i can't imagine a 15 year old like yeah anyway okay and then someone named Leroy guilford i wonder if we know them 23 years old from anaheim california i kind of remember a Leroy growing up but maybe it's a different Leroy. i don't know there's there's a lot of people named Leroy. so um, anyway, when I first bought it, I was really down on it. It's growing on me a little, but I still don't think it's Pink Floyd as Pink Floyd should be. It shows them as being bored with what they do. By their own admission, we're back to the review now. There is not, there is not, that is such a bullshit statement, because there is not Pink Floyd as Pink Floyd should be at this point. There's yeah. 
eight. They've been wildly not different great every albums. time out. The, like, no, they haven't done the no same thing twice. The only consistency they've had is between their two soundtrack records that no one listened to. <laughs> That's but the only time great, they've sounded like the same great. band. Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. insane. It is interesting where it's a little like, what do you guys want? What the from fuck Pink are Floyd? they talking like, what is, about? Like, yeah. kind of, to some degree, like, what does a Pink Floyd fan want in, like, 1974? You know, like, what is... I don't think strange. anybody knows. And it's also weird that this isn't good, but Dark Side would be to these people. And yeah. Like, Dark Side is as different from their previous stuff as this is. This is the... This and Dark Side is, are the most similar things they've done. Well, I was about to say, I think this actually is maybe more similar to stuff like Adam Hartmother and Metal than Dark Side of the Moon. I think Dark Side's maybe their weirdest thing they do. Oh, I mean, for sure, Until up to this maybe point. the wall or something. But, but like, like, Dark what, Side's their step out. I'm just like, what zone. are they wanting? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's bizarre to me. Anyway, so, Pink Floyd will never bring home any blue ribbons for their instrumental abilities. Their mastery of their tools peaks at competence. <laughs> The illusion of complexity that caused their drooling legions to make wild claims of high art accomplishment was actually nothing more than the skillful manipulation of elements so simple, the basic three chords everyone uses, that any collection of bar hacks could grind out a note-for-note reproduction without difficulty. Wow. One of the things that made Dark Side of the Moon so striking was that it showed them at full recognition of their limitations. In the past, they've often conceptually outdistanced their technical skills, but everything on that record was so perfectly calculated never to cross the line. The combination of elementary but flawless playing and correspondingly tasteful studio effects created a kind of spacey mood music that suddenly made sense to people who couldn't have been persuaded to buy one of their previous albums at gunpoint. Um, so he's even admitting that Dark Side was so different and every I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I feel like he's not contradicting himself, but contradicting a quote he put in there. Yeah. Most of the music on this album, which you were here, seems to determine to picture Pink Floyd as just another conventional rock and roll band, ignoring their strengths of self-analysis in order to gain entry to an arena in which they aren't equipped to do battle. Man, we're, I'm reading a lot more of this than I thought. The Cardinal <laughs> Offender is David Gilmore, by most counts the most technically efficient. No championship guitarist, he nonetheless has enough intelligent ideas to maintain their ultra-important link to the bedrock demands of their mass audience. I don't even think Ben Edmonds knows what that sentence means. Okay. He oversteps his bounds in several places on which you are here, however, indulging in protracted solos that present him as just another competent guitarist who thinks with his fingers instead of his instead of his head. That's what we were talking about you at the beginning there, Pete. All right. Um... Let's see. He plays a nice acoustic acoustic duet uh, as an intro to the title track, which has vaguely pleasant echoes of Loudon Wainwright in its stark approach. It's the most the- successful song on the album until the full bland- band makes its grandly faceless entrance. I can't which believe point- they mentioned Loudon Wainwright in yeah, right. a fucking Pink Floyd yeah. review. That is wild a nerd. To me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> At which point the number immediately nosedives to ho hum. After all the time they've devoted to molding their shortcomings into something uniquely workable as a band, they should know better than to turn around and imitate the transparent, traditional rock band methodology to which they supposedly present an alternative. Shine On You Crazy Diamond is initially credible because it purports to confront the subject of Sid Barrett, the long and probably forever lost guiding light of the original Floyd. But the potential of the idea goes unrealized. They give such a matter-of-fact reading of the goddamn thing that they might as well be singing about Roger Waters' brother-in-law getting a parking ticket. (laughs) Okay, that's funny. He's he's got me back in again. 
This lackadaisical demeanor forces, among other things, a reevaluation of their relationship to all the space cadet orchestras they unconsciously sired. Wow. <laughs> okay. Devoid of passion. I really Let's hated see. it until those two sentences, because now I'm kind of back on his side. Yeah. Not overall. I mean, whatever I think of this album, the first half of that review was horseshit. This guy's a nerd, and I don't really like him. But Pink Floyd are also nerds. I don't know if I like them that much. Okay. So, that's his review. Now we have the Robert Griscow review. Uh, he gives it, by the way, an A-, so a much different review than Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the most that Rolling Stone review would have given it is like a C+, plus maybe. They oh, yeah. In C territory. No dumb tribulations of a rock star epic here. The dedication to long-departed crazy Sid Barrett gives it an emotional resolve that mitigates what little self-pity Roger Waters allows himself. Even more remarkable, the music is not only simple and attractive, with the synthesizer used mostly for texture and guitar breaks for comment, but it actually achieves some of the symphonic dignity that Dark Side of the Moon simulated so ponderously. And the cover and liner art is worthy of all the stoned raps it has no doubt already inspired. (laughs) All right, thank you, Robert Christgau. So, let's go ahead and get into the album Wish You Were Here. It was released September 1975. Uh, There is weirdly disagreement on what the official release date was. Don't know how that's possible. How? But there are two different dates. (laughs) There was Uh, one record store who did it a day early. Yeah. We did on our last episode, I think. Dark Side went number two in the UK, and we said, this has to be their highest charting record, right? Wish You Were Here goes to number one in both the US and UK, which, you know, it's the follow-up to Dark Side of the Moon. So, yeah, Yeah. it's, like, based off advanced sales alone, probably. Yeah. Goes number one. Yeah, that's crazy. There's one single off the record, Have a Cigar, went absolutely nowhere. No. Why would you pick that one as a single? I mean, it's kind of the only one. I Wish You Were Here would probably be a better single, but I see why they didn't choose it. But also, as we talked about Dark Side, we're not in single territory anymore, so it doesn't matter too much. So Roger takes over more of the vocals on this album. He did a decent amount on Dark Side, but um and then let's see, they bring Dick Perry back for a couple saxophone solos. They have a couple new backup singers for the Shine On You Crazy Diamond sections. That's good. Vanetta Fields and Carlina Williams. Uh, Vanetta Fields has come up before on the show. She uh, sang on Tumbling Dice. She was one of the backup singers there. So she's great. Yeah. Really good. And then they have a guest lead vocalist for the only, the one and only time in their history. Uh, A guy named Roy Harper sings lead on Have a Cigar, Uh, which is very funny because I think I knew that, but didn't think about it when we chose that as our theme song. And it's very funny. (laughs) We chose the one Pink Floyd song that they don't sing. Yeah, that's pretty good. So, and Roy Harper, I didn't do a ton of research into him. He was kind of a singer-songwritery guy in the 70s who was like decently famous, but never The name is kind of familiar, but I don't I don't claim to I don't know, know anything if he about has him. like a hit or anything. That might be What's his top Spotify song, Roy Harper? Oh, Spotify, that's a good call. Or just his top hit all time on Wikipedia, I might say. His highest charting single. He's also a guitarist. His influence has been acknowledged by loads of him. He's most known for being the lead vocalist on Pink Floyd's Have a Cigar. 
be most known for anything he did or wrote i should say am i thinking hats off to roy harper which is like a led zeppelin oh, song you probably are thinking of that as where you've heard that name before yeah hats off to roy harper yeah which and is that him yeah it's yeah. him that's that's so what i'm thinking they all knew him yeah because like i think pink floyd knew of him at least but then he was just in abbey road that day yeah and they happened to be like oh hey roy what's up man I want to I want to tell so. all the fans out there I did catch that in my brain that that's where I knew Roy Harper from before I looked it up. Good job, PJ. Thanks. All right. So, let's go ahead and get into the track by track and we'll start with the first song, well really the first five songs. Shine on you crazy diamond parts 1 through 5. So parts one through four are credited as a band composition. For reasons unknown to anybody that I could find, only Roger is credited with part five, even though there's there's no singing, it's just an instrumental, like, anyway, confusing. Let's see, Roger's uh, the only singer on it. I mean, I think Davey might sing like backup or harmonies or something, but he's the lead vocalist, I should say. Um, yeah. So in this whole thing was, yeah, like I said, or inspired by the four-note riff we'll get to in a second, and then Roger's really legitimately, like, sincere desire to have a an ode to Sid Barrett of sorts. Yeah. And also, like, especially now that they were huge and a bunch of people knew about them, he didn't want Sid to be, like, a totally forgotten member. He wanted people to be aware of Sid. Yeah. So in a very sweet way shows that roger can be a nice guy at least at some points in his life so um the fact that they base this on like a four note thing just makes me think of songs like smoke on the water like yeah. what if deep purple had just done a whole album that was like <laughs> the yeah. motif was bah, hey man bah, if deep purple bah. is as good as pink floyd just kidding um so this part uh is just pretty much all a bunch of keyboards from rick sounds like each it. other this section was inspired by the household objects experiment. Uh, at one point, Ooh. they recorded themselves doing like the wine glass rim noise, whatever that's called. I forget what that's called. Is there a name for it? But like, yeah, when you use crystal, when you run your finger around the. No, I know what you're talking glasses. about. I just didn't yeah, know there was a. I don't a know if there is a name for it. it. So. Oh fuck. Uh oh, PJ left the meeting. Shit. He's gonna have to edit here at 140.25. Hopefully he comes back soon. Hey, you're back. Sorry, Pete. <laughs> Did you stop recording? No, I'm still recording. Okay, I didn't either, so. Okay. We'll have to figure out editing. Unless we'll just, we don't. No, it'll be the same. It'll be synced up, so we're good. Okay. So yeah, so anyway, so they're doing the wine glass thing. Anyway, so they record that and like put it through, you know a weird effects stuff like they always do and apparently that was enough for them to say hey that's a cool intro for our song hell yeah no some nice davy guitar i gotta say i disagree so strongly with ben edmonds because we'll get to it later this album has multiple i think it has my like top four favorite david gilmore lines on it guitar lines yeah like it's this, good it's in the in I the mean, um wish you were here sections like it is such great playing from them here's my thing i don't know if this is the like you know the 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 
producer or the um, the the like audio tech, or if it's David himself, that guitar tone is yeah so good. It's so crisp. Yeah, it's perfect. It's just that so is pure, like kind of that like is what not... every clean tone guitarist is yeah. looking for when they like are like I want a perfect clean tone. That's it. He nailed it. That is the best clean tone I've ever heard. Yeah. So we're getting to the four note riff soon, I believe. How far through the song are we? We are three minutes and 51 seconds. Yeah, perfect. We're almost there. There we go, baby. So this starts part two of the five part section, and this is called Sid's theme. It's the only part that has a name, I think. Hmm. And I really love how the drums come in here. It's very, it reminds me a lot. I will say it actually sounds a lot like Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> this intro and then when the band comes in. This whole part, this riff, sounds like it's on the Lethal Weapon 1 soundtrack written by Eric Clapton. Yeah. And then the, that ooh, was the tremolo guitar in the background. Like, yeah. yeah. It's really nice. Um... Yeah, the tremolo guitar effect is really, really fantastic. Um, so in the in my book, uh, I, for, I think it was someone they interviewed or something, but this song is described as minimalist, which I feel like is kind of weird, but no. I no, I, I like that. I think it kind of is. Like, it sounds very sparse and kind of open and dry to me in a way where it's like, even though there is a lot going on, it kind of just feels like there's... N- it feels like they stripped away anything that didn't need to be there to some degree. As opposed to like, even if it's the same amount of instruments, Dark Side feels so like lush and full. Whereas this feels a lot more, I don't know, yeah, minimalist to me, so. <sighs> Fucking David Gilmore. Mm-hmm. And some great organ in the back, man. He's like the definition. There's like two factions of guitar where it's like, your technical ability versus like the feel you have yeah. and so players like bb king or um maybe like uh dwayne allman are yeah. more in the i mean dwayne allman is both so that's a bad example yeah i was about to say dwayne allman and like Jimi hendrix are both both so, and like jimmy page to some degree although yeah. he's maybe more in technical ability, i would say he's more technical but like your um oof Derek trucks he's like you know um, no, he's technical too. So like, if you look at it, it's like BB yeah. King is a feel player. John Mayer yeah. is a technical player. Yeah. And like, there's these two factions where it's like, which one is better? Obviously, I I think feel is better, because yeah. like, I don't love shit like John Mayer, but like, I love BB King. Right. David Gilmore might be the king of he's this era ultimate, of yeah. feel playing. I it's think he so might be good. the ultimate. I mean, for rock music, at least, of all time. If for we're going just to feel, feel, yeah, not, and like not and on emotion, technicality, yeah. yeah, maybe. So, yeah, that solo kills. Ben Edmonds is an, honestly an idiot for thinking his solos are uninspired. No, that guy So that was a big himself. criticism of them at the time on their tour after Dark Side, like later into the tour especially, and then on this album of like them just seeming uninspired and kind of creatively lacking, which they were. But I don't think they sound. I don't think this album sounds like a band that doesn't know what to do. And I don't no. think I listened to a little bit today, 
my live recording of them playing at Wembley in 74, which I think was the end of their Dark Side tour. So it was like one of their last shows. It fucking slays. They sound like at the top of their game to me. I mean, just through the music. So like, I got to imagine a live that they got so lambasted at the time for seeming so lazy. But I got to imagine a live Pink Floyd show from like 73 to 76 was maybe a little bit later than that. Even impeccable. Oh, I yeah, I have one from crazy. the Animals Tour, too, that's also really amazing, so. Okay, as good as this is, let's go ahead and get to 843. So this is all part three that we were in, I believe. But then let's get to the, the singing section, actually, with Roger. Do you want to go back a little bit? Sure. It's 811. Okay. Yeah. He's got the feel, man. He really does. And that's, I think, I don't know. I feel like there are a lot of people who criticize, like, players who play by feel. I think it's way groovier. I think it's so much better. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you'd like to have both. I mean, yeah. Everybody would love to be fucking Jimi Hendrix, but there's one. Yeah, I like when the double vocals come in. A weird choice to have just the first, like, four words not double-tracked, but then everything else in the song is. Yeah. I guess this part isn't. It, I mean... Who's singing? Is it Davey? No, it's Roger. Sorry, that's what I meant. Roger? His voice isn't strong alone on this album. No, but I will say... Except for here. One's got a vocal effect on it, great. I I don't know. I think it's fine. It's never bothered me at all. It's in the book, weirdly, I was reading that, like, they're like, obviously you can tell he's not a very good singer. And I'm like, I don't know. He's fine. He's fine. But I, mean. I think he gets away a lot with just, like, it is so from his heart that it kind of works no matter what i mean i don't can i do any better probably not but um like i i think his voice really lends itself to being either double tracked or harmonized with whomever you know yeah i think it's bizarre after listening to dark side to hear his voice alone not double tracked like basically just like straight compression on it no effect like it's a little strange yeah because then the second another voice comes in, it's like, that's Pink Floyd, you know? Right. Also, this part rules. It's good. Yeah. God, um, the fucking guitar playing is like... Yeah. This whole riff during this part is the part that, by the way, either the Dark Side episode or the episode before that, I was talking about that one Led Zeppelin song that I thought sounded like Pink Floyd. Yeah. It's this riff that it reminds me of. So. Oh, so is their own song that it reminds you of? Yeah. No, 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 the Led Zeppelin song. Did you remember the Led Zeppelin song or no? I could look it up real quick. It's off three. I think I know what you're talking about. We we did it on the episode. I don't think we found out the name of the no, song. No, I found it. It's Since I've Been Loving. It has, oh. a, has like one guitar line in it that sounds very similar to that. Yeah. All right, so now we get the end section with Dick Perry's saxophone solo. 
and it kind of changes tempo here. Pete, what have I always said on this podcast since day one? No. What have I said? Saxophone's good. I'm a sucker for saxophone on See, a rock song. I liked Bobby Keys was good enough to make me rethink that. Dick Perry's not good enough to make me rethink my sex, <laughs> my stance on saxophone. My sex like stance. Okay, let's go ahead and go back real quick to, if you would, 10 minutes and 30 seconds. These 20 seconds contain, like, my three favorite David Gilmore guitar lines, I think. So, though, ba-da, ba-da is so well done. And then his walk-down riff here is amazing. And then that, holy shit, that yeah. really high-up line is so great. Anyway, yeah. So he's just. So good. I think he's killing. So I mean, good. he was killing it on Dark Side of the Moon too. Like time and money are also perfection from him. So I always have connected with Shine on You Crazy Diamond and him a little bit more. Though. It's a great song. It's a great song. All right. So let's go ahead and move on to Welcome to the Machine. <clears throat> Written by Roger. This one's sung by Davey. Um. Yeah, this one has a long-ass intro. This is a long song for being not a lot going on musically. <laughs> yeah, it's seven back. and a half minutes. Yeah, I mean, or they're kind of just doing the same thing from Dark Side, where they have really yeah. long intros and outros, so. Yeah. So you can say whatever you want, Pete. I'm going to go to the bathroom. Probably not going to miss anything. So. No, I, I doubt it. That keyboard tone, <clears throat> not my favorite. Really not my favorite. This whole song has never hit right for me. It's a little too, it's too kind of edgy, hard-edged maybe. Like, it's just very sharp and kind of metallic and, you know, machine-like a little bit in a way that I just don't enjoy. I feel like they're accomplishing what they want to musically, but in a way where uh, it doesn't work for me. Oh yeah, for sure. Welcome back. So weirdly, I always thought that he was playing the twelve string on this song too, um, but apparently he just double tracked his six string for some reason. <laughs> Not sure why that's. It sounds whatever. like a twelve string. I feel yeah, like it could have gotten the like same effect. Yeah. With half the amount of time. Yeah. So I was just saying to the to the listeners, you know, that this song, I feel like they accomplish exactly what they want by making it kind of like harsh and intense and metallic and, you know, machine-like, this song. But it just makes it so that it does not work for me. I don't I don't really like this song almost in any way. Yeah, which is I, crazy. So there's only really four songs, five songs on the album. 
four. Yeah, I mean, kind of. Songs. Yeah, we're back to the Adam Hartmother type thing. And this or shit metal, sucks. Metal, I think, is the one with only, like, five songs on it. Yeah, this shit sucks. Nobody likes Welcome to the Machine. <clears throat> yeah, be- I mean, it's, I think, to be honest, I really actually do think I would like it if it was about half as long. But it just, there's too much of, like, the kind of intense, again, like, I don't know, metallic-y sharp keyboards for two I've been long saying this since the beginning of Pink Floyd. All of their songs need to be half as long and fucking cut the dumbass intros. Yeah. Let's see, Metal had six songs. Adam Hartmother Adam Hartmother had five. I was like, yeah. I know there was well, this one, one but this one has Shine on You Crazy Diamond one through five. And then yeah, three songs only has and then four six because that's they what did I'm saying. Write, they wrote the whole Shine on You Crazy Diamond and then purposely split it up just so that it wasn't a whole side of the album they didn't want to quite do that which to be you know they're learning respect respect yeah they're learning um so one very interesting thing about this song is when they went on tour they worked with an animator named gerald scarf i think that's how it's pronounced and uh to create a little music video thing that would play behind them while they played this song live um and the same person who will end up animating uh the wall movie oh so this is where he comes into the picture have you ever seen the wall movie i've not seen the whole thing i've only seen like the snippets that they play with songs on youtube pete we'll have to watch it i've never seen it either um so this song again largely about sid again um you know the entertainment industry as a machine obviously um i didn't even get how it grinds you down yeah so symbolism to be honest i don't think there's a lot great here at the very end no. it ends with a little cut to like sounds of a party happening which is supposed to be their kind of dig at the entertainment industry of you know how vapid and empty all these black and, and, and we've already heard are. this before not only with pink floyd with party sequence which yeah, is exactly. a great song we've exactly. also heard this with the beach boys party which was a far so, superior mm. album yeah, but on on vinyl, this ends side one, which is kind of a, a wild side one. Real um, weird. But let's go ahead and get to track three, Have a Cigar. So as I said before, written by Raj, sung by Roy Harper. Yeah, great guitar riff. The best, welcome to... Um, the best drum fill they've done so far, I think. Yeah. I think we, oh, yeah, I Nick's mean, we've talked it. about it a lot how he's not a strong drummer. No, well, and apparently he and Roger kind of got into it on this album because Roger was being a real taskmaster with making him re record his parts all the time to perfect them, and he got all annoyed at Roger. But, I mean, not to say Roger's, you know, right, but uh, the drums are really good on this album. <laughs> They're best, better than they've ever sounded. It's funny, drummers are like that. Paul was a drummer in a band I was in, and every time we were recording, he'd be like, I don't want to do this again. And right. It, yeah. Those damn drummers. Um, I was about to call them skinheads. <laughs> no, I think Those that's damn good. Skin damn skimheads. Uh, let's see, so apparently both Roger and Davey gave the lead vocals a go, but neither of them liked liked it they didn't feel like they could pull it off so they brought roy harper in apparently brian humphreys and davy were both really impressed but roger didn't like it and he tried more times 
to uh, record him, but yeah. couldn't top it, so he gave in finally. But he's never liked the vocal take on this. The weird thing about Roy Harper is, he, like, to, in, to my ears, it could either be Davey or Roger. Like, yeah, it in, took me a while to know. Like, I didn't know for the first few years I listened to this album that it yeah. wasn't one of them. Because it does kind of sound like both it of could them be either bit. yeah like it kind of sounds like roger trying to sing like davy and davy trying to sing Ex- like roger exactly it's yeah. kind of wild i like it though he's a great singer i like it too yeah it's good um yeah i think it's fine i i guess roger's main problems with it is that he kind of felt like he delivered it too in a way where it kind of made it sound like a parody song a little bit or something. <laughs> yeah. Or like, you know, they're kind of skewering the record industry and he thought it made it sound a little too like self-knowing. Polished. Oh yeah. Where okay. like Roger's like, I could have done it better, but he obviously wasn't, so, or didn't. But yeah, I mean, this is a classic, very uh, extreme. Yeah, this is like up there with money in terms of classic record industry uh, songs. What? With the f- extremely famous line pulled from a, a real meeting where they were asked which one is pink, which we still don't have the answer to, but this song gets well, the we'll closest to answering we'll find out by the end of so this goddamn far. podcast, I'll tell you yeah. that much. So. Um, besides, of course, the song Smooth, which is Santana featuring Rob Thomas, what, yeah. what other band do you know that has brought in a guest lead vocalist for a song? It's very rare, yeah. I agree. Like a band with another vocalist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's strange. I, do, I really can't think of any. Yeah? I don't know either. I, You know, I don't want to fully go Ben Edmonds on this shit. I don't love the Half a Cigar solo. It's fine. It's, you know, it's... Yeah, I won't really argue, I guess, with someone who thinks it's uninspired. I just don't think it's incredible. It's not up there with the rest of his guitar playing on this album. But. No. Uh, we Last week we talked about, or two episodes ago, we talked about Saturn Return albums. To no. me, this might be Davies. Mm. I think the guitar playing on this is better. Oh. I honestly think the guitar playing on Have a Cigar might be... I don't know better, but it feels better to me than most of yeah. Darkseid. And I like Darkseid. I gave it an out of 10. Yeah. But I feel like he's more inspired on this. Or, I don't know, he maybe just listened to some like really great guitars for a while. Like got into yeah. the blues or something. I do love that. Every time it comes up. No, I think it's good. I like the guitar playing on the song. I've really no qualms with it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the, sorry, I don't. It's not I the would, strongest on the album. Yeah, I would never great. skip it, but yeah, I'm just saying it's not like like I think you know, yeah. On other parts of this album, he's he's at his top and he isn't quite at his peak here. I do really like that line, though. I gotta say. So, and then they do the fun effect. So, interestingly, they don't do this on the first half, but on the second half, they have all the songs interconnected like they did on Dark Side. Yeah. So, this one ends by kind of being phased out into a weird, like it's supposed to be a radio, car radio sound, and then that transitions you into Wish You Were Here, uh, which is credited to Davey and Raj. Um, yeah. And we'll, we'll wait to hear it real quick. 
the number one song everybody who just bought a 12 string guitar learns. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We've both played this on 12 string at the same time. Hell yeah. It's a very easy riff too. And it's I got to say, I mean, it's gorgeous too. Like uh like Ben Edmonds said, it's most Pink Floyd songs are pretty easy to learn in a very satisfying way. I play a lot of their acoustic ballads, you know, just cuz they're they're well, like you just bought a 12 string Pete. They're fun riffs that are also easy, you know. Mhm. I mean, Pete, I don't know if you agree. One of the greatest songs ever written. A bit yeah. overplayed at this point, but like oh, yeah. that's not their fault. It's like no, Wild it's Horses not. to me where it's like one of the greatest, right? No. I do really like his guitar, his acoustic riffs on this one, man. Yeah. And this, this, song, is, this is the Martin he got off the street from the guy in front of good the store. Martin. He, didn't he made a good choice. In the store. Yeah. Oh, fuck. It's so good. And here's the thing. Wish You Were Here to me. Like, I listened to it. I, it was like a high realization, but I've never smoked pot. But it, it was like 2012, maybe, yeah. when I was like a senior in high school. I listened to the song, and I was like, this could have been written and recorded last week. Yeah. It's not only so crisp and clear, and the recording is so good. It's like timeless. It really is one of the few songs I think is timeless. You can't pinpoint when it was written or recorded. It's just a phenomenal song. It's one of the best. It is. Yeah. Top 10 song. Yeah. So this is Davey singing. Weirdly, I've never noticed on this song, but I was actually listening to it today and realizing, or, you know, reading along about what was going on in the song. The only 12-string on it is just playing the riff. I always yeah. kind of assumed the whole thing was played on 12-string and never listened that closely, but it's not. No, it's just the, yeah, just the riff. the whole thing on the 6-string with just that Which, one riff being played it, on the 12-string. In my mind, I think that is the only thing 12-strings are good for. I think it's an 12 occasional riff there. <laughs> Here and there. Yep. I mean, yeah. the birds did it and they did great at it. Yeah. Pink Floyd did it. I feel like it's good for a riff, not good for like actually playing chords. Well, I was about to say, according to most people on acoustic guitar forums, I think it's excellent for playing in worship bands. I'm sure. <laughs> to add some nice layering. Excellent to play the shittiest music you can think of. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, to praise your Lord and Savior. Jesus. That being said, I do have a 12 string. I don't play it that often, except for like riffy stuff, you know? Yeah. Such a good song. And this is the best his voice has ever sounded so far, and the best it ever will sound. I don't think I agree with you. I think his lyrics, I think his singing on Dark Side of the Moon is good. I don't think, this to me is a different person. This to me is a more mature person who is just better at singing. I don't know. Two years older. Um, What is interesting is that, similar to Roy Harper, while they were playing this, a... uh, a guy named Stefan Grappelli was recording in Abbey Road. A mobster. He was a violinist uh, who apparently was famous for working with Django Reinhardt. Ooh. Um, and Davey said, hey, you know, some violin might sound good on this, kind of like country honk or something. He's like, could give it kind of a country feel. So they got him in there, recorded it, paid him, left out the violin part because they didn't think it sounded very good. <laughs> I mean, so we should look that up though. That version is out there on the internet. Is it? So yeah, I want to listen to we'll that. We'll play that later. 
it's funny because you hear that story with like Country Honk or you hear it with um, Hurricane by Bob Dylan. He just saw a lady oh, yeah. carrying a violin. He said, can you play that thing? And then she's on the recording. It's funny when it doesn't work out. Because right. you don't hear that story often. Where it's I mean, like, yeah, this is the this is the other side of the Claritory thing, where it's like, yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not <laughs> actually, yeah, it fucking blue. It was yeah. terrible. I also love the singing as yeah, his little doot do doos. I love over it. the solo. It's really yeah. ridiculous, but but fun. But it yeah. works. Like, I mean, yeah. I feel like on any other song, I'd be like, fucking no. Yeah. For me, on this song, it's phenomenal and it works because he's matching the guitar tone really well. Yeah. I could do without the wind sounds at the end. but Yeah, again, I think that was on metal where the wind sound came up and I was like, this won't be the last we'll hear of the wind yeah. sound. Yeah, the wind and the, the sea. wind noise, man. But it is kind of fun, again, just because it connects this into the shine on you crazy diamond you know return and so it's kind of fun in that way like i like how shine on you crazy diamond comes out of the wind when we get to that but yeah are you finding the wish we you were here with the violin I will now. Oh, sorry. I figured I thought we... I was clear that I wanted that to happen. So, well, I thought we were gonna play it after the album. Fucking excuse me. Oh, we can we can play it after the album. That's fine too. That doesn't bother me. Like just the band or the music kind of coming out of the wind. It makes it feel very soundtrack, which obviously they're uh, they're well versed in. But it just kind of mm -hmm. makes it sound like it's a song, you know, playing over a movie or something. So. It's fun. So part six, um, six this through intro, nine. yeah, part six through nine. This intro has a really great Rick keyboard solo to start out here. You know, I can't play the piano that well, but sometimes like things like this, are like this guy didn't know, have to know how to play the piano to do a sick ass riff like that. Yeah. He was just fucking around and he figured it out. Yeah. I could do that, but not so as well. Bad. And I love it. I mean, even more than Dark Side, they're like really experimenting with the synthesizer sounds. I mean, here. it's like it's like they heard the, what do you Ed, call like what is it called on a keyboard? Not because it's like a whammy bar on guitar, but there's the similar thing on the keyboard. Um, the modulation. Modulate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to he's, look at my He's playing with that a lot, and it's really cool. Yeah. It's like you heard Edgar Winter Group and was like, yeah. Yeah, whoa. Right. Yeah, it's both very what year did stuck in its out? time. But then since I don't listen to a lot of stuff with this specific kind of keyboard, to me it feels very Pink Floyd. But if you listen to some wider 70s you know, rock from the time, then it is very of its time. So, I mean, Frankenstein came out in 73. It's not that far off. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I also just want to take a quick moment to talk about the production of this show. Um, sure. I turn up the music really loud in our headphones so we can hear it. Yeah. And then I turn it down on the final um, edit. So yeah. for this 
sometimes it's we're just yelling at each other and the music right. isn't that loud, which yeah. is very funny to me. And I just heard it happening in real time and thought it was funny. Alright, so now we get some killer pedal steel from Davey. Or lap steel, unclear. We don't know anymore what he plays, but definitely it's steel. It's slide guitar of some sort. Yeah, it's definitely a slide on steel strings. That we can confirm. <laughs> that we know. <laughs> just really great and just kind of vamping again in a way where like it's it's just they are they have turned a corner in a way like I think metal was their corner where all of a sudden they were good at just playing long instrumental sections and before yeah. that they just didn't. Right, we can probably go ahead and skip to about 4.40 to part 7. So then they slow it back down. I really like, we kind of skipped it, but that's okay, we don't have to go back. But just, I really like the step down from the faster first section into well, this part. Let's do it. Let's go back. It's, I just, I just enjoy it. That is what I was wanting and from the Beach like Boys on all of their goddamn down. albums. It's it's really well done. It's a good transition. They know how to do it. So they're now great. they're back to Sid's theme, the refrain, uh, and Roger singing again here for the next minute and a half or so. I like Davy singing better. I'm going to call that right now. Yeah, I gotta say I really don't agree with Ben that the voc- that the lyrics here are like not. I I like the lyrics. I think I think they're simple and straightforward, but in a way that I think really works. The for... lyrics have never been an issue to me yeah. with Pink Floyd. It's yeah. like we don't even bring them up because I think it it's not assumed they're bad. It's assumed that they're pretty good. Yeah, they're solid. Yeah. They aren't incredible, but they're solid. They do no. have some incredible. I mean, lyrics. like Roger can write some great stuff. Yeah, every other band we've talked about has some songs with the fucking dumbest lyrics in the world. I don't know that we're there with Pink Floyd yet. I don't know that we're no. there when we're like dog shit lyrics. They're talking about going to a root beer stand and eating a bag of hot dogs. <laughs> you know? How can you afford two chili dogs, PJ? That's a lot of dough. That's a lot of dough. Shit's good. I mean, all of the sections where it's like a song are really great. So now we move into about a three-minute section, part eight, that can only be described as funky. Only? Exclusively? I think exclusively. You've heard it here first, folks. Exclusive. After this kind of chiming guitar riff moves on. Here we go. There's the funk. I feel it. See that kind of jazz? They got some jazz rhythm going on. Makes me want to put my hands up in there and twirl. In just a second, Rick comes in on a Wurlitzer, and it's like, it is just straight up funky. Like, this is almost as good as their kind of groove section in, in uh, Echoes. Oh, fucking A. <laughs> so this keyboard section to me sounds so much like the Talking Heads. Like this really feels oh, like just the Talking yeah. Heads vamping live or something. It, it really reminds me of that. But in a way where I'm kind of impressed, like, hey, Pink Floyd, 
you know, they were they were on the ball with this stuff, man. This, yeah, I mean, that, talking that, heads were forming, I think, in 1975. Yeah, so. th- that modulation is very right. talking heads. Very, yeah. Um, yeah. Honestly, yeah, if you, if I really, you t- I really enjoy this yeah. section. I think this section alone really like perks up. You know, this last part could be kind of long and a little slow or something, but they do a good job throwing us a curveball here in the last few minutes of the record. Like again, they've just they've learned how to do the ultra long songs so that they're actually listenable all the way yeah. through. You don't have weird long gaps of just kind of noise where you're like, or, oh, this shit sucks. Yeah, shit. Yeah. I will say. Entertained all the way through parts six through nine of Shine yeah. On Your Crazy Diamond. So let's get and get to nine oh five or so is part nine through the end. To be honest, I don't quite remember this. This was when I was wrapping up my notes. I was listening to this. I don't quite remember. Something happens here, but I'm just not remembering. I mean, we have three minutes left, so something should happen. Sometimes that means nothing with Pink Floyd. <laughs> True. If they blast this out with one, like, fucking killer guitar solo, that'd be sick. I don't know that it happens, but... You know Sergei Prokofiev? Pro, 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 oh, yeah. Prokofiev? Pro, yeah. I always say it Prokofiev, even though, like, I know that's not how it's pronounced, but that's yeah. just the, you know, phonetic or whatever way that I look at it. This shit sounds like he was Bill and Ted transported to <laughs> 1975 yeah. and, like, wrote a composition. That's a pretty good, yeah, that's pretty apt. That's a good comparison. I, so I was just talking about how they know how to keep your attention till the end. This part is a little slow, but I do really like how they resolve it right at the end. I don't know where we're at, but if we could go to like 12 minutes. We're, we're at 12 minutes now. Oh, did we go too late? They might resolve it earlier and then it's just dead noise. I can go back. Yeah, go to like 1130. Which is funny because that's pretty much where we were when you told me. To oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. I don't know that they resolve it, Pete. It might even be. Oh, wait, no, because that's where we we're at. That's the French horn setting on whatever keyboard he's using, mm-hmm. by the way. Mm hmm.
We've got 20 seconds left. I don't know if it's going to happen. Right. Well, it's fingers crossed. <laughs> it's just going to fade out. It doesn't resolve. Oh, that's very funny. Okay, go to like 11 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it happened. Oh, now it's playing Black Sabbath for some reason. Okay, come on. 11 minutes, you say? Sure. That was eleven twenty-three. Yeah, perfect. It's Which just, is it's just the nice thing where they play a whole section in the minor key and then end it on like the major chord, and it just is very satisfying to hear at the end. Like, would have been nice... great if they ended it there, but they went on for a minute and a half yeah, after exactly. that. All right, okay, that's what I was thinking. I refuse to let another more happen where I kept talking about Davy's cool solo coming up for like three songs, and there was not Never a guitar happened. solo for three yeah. songs. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and hear that. Wish you were here before we get into our. Th- yeah. You want to hear the top comment on this song? I would love to. Oh, I, is it something along the lines of, like, I remember when this song came out, or I wish they made music like this today? Still listening to this in 2020. No. Um, yeah. Why, oh, why didn't they use this on the album? It almost brought me to tears. Such sweet wow. playing. Nothing different so far. No. No, no violin yet. My book did say, of course this version isn't as good, so it's a good thing they didn't use it. Like, it's just everyone knows it. And I was like, oh, I've never heard it. How am I supposed to know? Oh, the solo is different. I kind of like it, actually. <laughs> it's a little bluesier. Hmm. It's just a tad, but... It's weird. I don't dislike it. It's weird. So, so you think you can tell heaven from hell. I wonder where the violin kicks in. It's a really Blue great question. It's in the last minute. Oof, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> last 20 seconds. I guess maybe when like the full band comes. Yeah. What the fuck? I'm getting a phone call. Wow. Answer. Hello, this is PJ. And Pete. Yes. Oh. No, no, no. It's just the. It's just that one door. I think PJ's being asked if his home warranty needs extending. Yeah, that yeah. sounds right. And he's saying yes. Yeah, it sounds right. It expired. Yeah, it's expiring soon, and he needs. Yeah, he does need it to be re-upped no well technically he doesn't remember paying for it last year but he's pretty sure i mean if you say he has one that he needs to urgently renew then of course he does so yeah he'll he'll go ahead and do that okay yeah well it's not through the mortgage company that's weird that it's kind of a okay well hmm. but they seem you know they know all this information so they must be telling the truth he's saying 
But okay, he's pulling out the credit card. Boy, PJ, I wouldn't six thousand dollars. I wouldn't do that, man. But okay, well he's reading it off, so I guess he's you know unless I guess it must be legit. But it's a lot of it's a lot of cash. And now he's slamming door. He seems pissed. Well, did you get it? Did you get your home warranty renewed? Oh, he doesn't have his headphones. Oh, no, there's no cans. How's he supposed to hear? I found them. Did you get your home warranty renewed, PJ? I heard it was urgent. It. I mean, yeah, it's extended even more now. That's good. They, they wanted to talk to me about my car's extended warranty for years. Okay. All right. You might have just been able to keep it going, and who knows when that violin comes in. I got a phone call, Pete. Double-tracked 12-string. It's practically a 26-string. This actually kind of sounds like he's just playing it on the 6-string, I gotta say. This does not sound Not right now, before. Yeah, yeah. No, before he was, but yeah. Ooh, I like the piano there. Did they get you to train? Your heroes for gold. Is there is this a joke? Did everyone just make up that there's violin on this song? Just They're pranking us, us just like, like Ringo Starr being on a fucking yeah. Canned heat on? song or whatever the fuck it was. Yeah, because so far it's the exact same fucking song. Great. Not worse at all. There we go. I don't like it. No, it's, it's kind of mm. ass, actually. Maybe if it was mixed different. No, I don't like it. Actually, weirdly, I just kind of feel like it doesn't vibe well with like his acoustic guitar. It's just like, it feels like it's the exact same tone kind of from two different instruments in a way where it just kind of sounds like they're fighting each other for space in the mix. Well, PJ, what are your thoughts on the album, Wish You Were Here? Um, well, to me, this sounds like, you know, those um, kids you see in the parking lot playing the violin? Um, <laughs> yeah. It sounds like somebody's just playing one of those over the song, Wish You Were Here. Like, it does not, it's not like they meant to do Fair. that. That's what it sounds yeah. like to me. It's um, kind of like the guy, uh, when I was in Spain somewhat recently, sitting on the square in Madrid, this guy who would play Spain? accordion, where he would play with, he would just play with songs. So he'd turn on like a Justin Bieber song or whatever, exactly. and then just play the accordion along with right. it. And it mm -hmm. was very, very funny. When did, when just did like, you go what to Spain? if this pop song had accordion on it? Uh, last summer. Oh. Mm. Yeah. It was during the 19 months we stopped recording, so. We might not right. have talked about okay. it. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> might not have come up. 
Um, Wish You Were To Me, Wish You Were Here To Me is a very interesting album because I do feel like it's clicked with them to where they're more, I mean, as of Dark Side, they're more simpatico as a band. They kind of have something. They know who's, like, what strong parts they can do with each other, right? Um, yeah. That being said, I, well, no, I also feel like they, they have nailed the long song thing, which we talked about. Like, they can keep my interest for the entirety of a, I don't know, 10-minute song, let's say. Yeah, I think That's they're just different sections. 12 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, 12 and or 15 like, minutes. You know, they both have parts where I do lull out, but not as much as I have on past Floyd albums. Um, Really, the... That's not the best part of the album, right? Wish You Were Here, one of the best songs ever written. Great song. Top of the album, right? And then to me, the other two songs that are real songs aren't very good. Like, they're, Have a Cigar is yeah. fine. Welcome to Machine isn't that good. Um, Half a Cigar is, it goes on too long, and then, like, the end solo stuff is, like, a, it's good. It yeah. is not, it's by, it's a long shot away from the best stuff on the album, though. Yeah. So it's a really weird album, because I really wanted to like it, um, and, like, in the past, I've listened to it and enjoyed it, but, like, listening to it with a critical eye is interesting, because it is, like... I thought I was like fully prepared to come in and maybe do a 10 and like maybe right. it would tie with Dark Side, but I don't think it does. I think, I mean, having Wish You Were Here on an album helps. I'm going to say that. Um, yeah. If it wasn't on here, if there wasn't, if they didn't have a strong song like that on here, it would probably, to me, be slightly better than the rest of the stuff they'd done. Like right. maybe where we ranked, I don't know metal did we like metal which is the one which one's the one we liked yeah metal was solid yeah that was like so, a six or seven out of ten for yeah the first so time, it, would, yeah. it would maybe be around there but i mean the fact that they've done a solid thing plus they have a great song on it like kind of kicks it up for me and the guitar playing is immaculate on this album like it's so good all the way through yeah so probably for me maybe an eight out of ten yeah. Seven, maybe, but I think I'm gonna go eight. Yeah, I mean, that seems perfectly fair. It's Wish You Were Here. I was very surprised to learn that this album was born out of a period of like zero creativity for them. And I'm really curious to see how the rest of the 70s go because I've always been a uh, apparently, I mean, I thought I was like a pretty big fan, at least in the 70s, but I never knew this kind of detail of them struggling so much after Dark Side. I was kind of like, mm -hmm. they hit it out of the park with Dark Side and then just had that creative burst that lasted through the 70s. And it doesn't feel like, at least so far, that's true at all. Like they, you know, limp to the finish line on this one. Well, and not only that, they've regressed back to what they were doing, basically. Kind of. Yeah, and I just, but I've never listened to this album and that thought had never occurred to me that this wasn't just about in the same league as Dark Side, basically. Yeah. And that their next two albums, I mean, I'm interested now to re-listen to them, but I've always kind of assumed or just kind of thought of all four of these like as in their same kind of tier of like, this is all top Pink Floyd. 
You're right. I mean, regressed, I don't think is quite true. I think, like I said a little earlier, like I think they're moving back to formats they've done before, but they, they definitely know how to do it better. Right. And, and I think I just the meant falls from before. Yeah. I think I just meant their avoid. formula has regressed back to yeah, true. what they've been doing. True. Um, although I would I would be the first to argue that Darkseid isn't that different. It's just they kind of went about it differently, but I think the end product is pretty similar. But I would agree with that, I think. Anyway, so yeah, so I would never have expected that. And Wish You Were Here has for a long time been my personal favorite Pink Floyd album. It always clicked with me a lot more than Dark Side of the Moon. Like, mm-hmm. I just would go back to listen to this one so much more than any of their other ones. Um, I think partially because that first section of Shine On You Crazy Diamond has some of my favorite David Gilmore guitar playing yeah. ever. And then even the low-ish parts, like, I, I really do not like Welcome to the Machine. That's true. <laughs> but the rest of it, I I really like. And I think, you know, I I definitely, I think overall this album has fewer like dead points to me than dark side of the moon where dark side of the moon, even when it's interesting to listen to, it has a lot of those long instrumental kind of experimental sections that I don't know if I'm just driving around in the car. I'm like, I don't need to be listening to this. Yeah, (laughs) totally. It's, it is very much a purposeful listening album. Whereas this is a little more, it's just straight ahead rock and roll to some degree. So what's interesting, I don't know if it's just the mood I'm in right now or what, but this album has not, been clicking for me this week as much as it has historically i was really expecting to go into this and be like i think this is a 10 out of 10 whereas dark side was a nine that's what i was thinking too because i remember liking it so much more than dark side so again i don't know this might you know talk to me maybe in a in a few episodes and see if i've listened to it more since then but i think i'm going to trust my historical self and go ahead and give it a nine out of ten. Same as Dark Side. That's right valid, now, I'm kind of feeling like an eight, but I I loved it so much in the like even recent past that I'm like I think I might just be in a weird mood this week. So it is weird giving things like what we do and like listen to an album critically because there are some albums that I like had a perception of that turned out much better. All of Jimi Hendrix's stuff, I was like, fuck. I was I was fully expecting to be like. I mean, teenage PJ thought he was great. Like, right. you know, who can trust that guy? Uh, he was right. Yeah. Like, yeah. such, so good. And then there have been ones where I've, like, you know, thought, oh, maybe I'm going to really like this. And this actually might be the, Dark Side and this one might be the first ones that we've talked about where I was like, I'm going to love it. I think it's going to be 10 out of 10, you know? Yeah. And then it just hasn't clicked. And I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, yeah. I think I agree with you. I was fully anticipating going into this album, tying it with Dark Side, maybe better, but it just never did it for me. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't yeah. know what it is, but I think maybe just listening to it critically has, you know, kicked it down a few points in my book, but I don't know. I really yeah. don't know. That's possible. Um, hey, speaking of Jimi Hendrix, uh, listeners will be glad to know I did re-listen to Electric Ladyland. It's not a 10 out of 10. Not a 10 out Guess of what 10. song I didn't even start trying to listen to. I was like, this is an automatic skip. I don't even want to take the time. 
What song is that? Being? The the merman song. Yeah, the Whatever one that song, we were like yeah. the merman song. The one that I was like, eh, I might that one might not go over well. I was literally like, I was listening to it with the express purpose of like, this should still be a ten out of ten for me, right? Still got to that song and went, nah, I gotta skip it. I'll admit it's a nine out of ten. That's fine. It's <laughs> we're a done. Nine. It's a nine. Um. Anyway, so yeah, so wish you were here. Uh, close to the highs of Dark Side. I think mm-hmm. here's I guess what I'll say is I think it's more consistent than Dark Side of the Moon for me. Yeah. Like okay. overall it's more consistent to listen to, but I don't think it reaches higher than Dark Side. The high, you know, like the Dark highs Side's are not high as points high. are still higher, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of a like I think giving it for me the same rating and for you, you know, within a point, but like a very similar rating makes sense because they're yeah. I think similar quality wise, but kind of in different ways. So That's I a definitely good way to put don't it. think yeah the rolling stone review is accurate um you know at all but no that's whack as fuck um, that's crazy that they said that but yeah and i also gotta say you know for how long we've been talking about pink floyd this is the first time they've said wow we've got nothing and then we gave it an eight and a nine out of ten like that True. is crazy so they have they've at learned least a little bit in that way yeah they yeah. have gotten they have become a better band um and they didn't just completely cave under the dark side of the moon pressure, which I really thought they were, you know, now that I know all of that, it's really kind of incredible that they didn't, to be honest, because they seem like yeah. the kind of band that would have absolutely just broken up afterwards. <laughs> I mean, one of their members basically did at the beginning. He was like, Matt, yeah, n- no more right. of that. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that has been the Pink Floyd fellas covering Wish You Were Here. Uh email us at beachboysboys at gmail.com follow us on instagram at the beach boys boys um and go look at our links there yeah go look at our link tree all that stuff and uh we'll see you on the dark side of the moon pj i'll see you on the other side of that rainbow i think we switched them this time i think we might have switched them well no actually i think that's correct I think that's what we've been doing. Okay. I might be wrong, but... A Beach Boys Boys production.